Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to This Week Again. I'm your host, Suzanne Posel. We're going to start off this show with why age matters in politics, move on to the Republicans' revenge impeachment plot, and follow all of that up with how Republicans really feel about unionized strikes. Let's begin, shall we? So much has been happening. Drew Barrymore made an apology video for restarting her show and Then she deleted it and then posted a written statement saying that she was postponing the return of her show until the strike is over when all she really had to do was pay her staff out of her mountain of Barrymore money like the not a Nepo baby Kelly Clarkson has been doing since the strike began. And then there was the not so shocking revelation that the boomer white man who co-founded the magazine Rolling Stone is a racist misogynist who thinks women and people of color haven't contributed anything constructive to music. Oh, and recently we found out Russell Brand is apparently a rapist several times over who doesn't discriminate against underage girls when he's doing the raping. But my favorite what-the-actual-fuck moment this week came from Republican presidential hopeful and recipient of a college scholarship from the Soros Fellowship for New Americans Foundation, who he used to attend Yale University, by the way. Even though, according to his tax returns from that time, he could actually afford to pay for college out of his parents' pocket. I'm talking about Mr. Vivek Ramaswamy. Vivek is the same guy who thinks the minimum voting age should be raised from 18 to 25 because young Americans typically don't vote Republican, but that isn't the worst thing that Vivek has proposed. And who can forget grand ideas coming from Vivek, making newly registered to vote American citizens take a civics test before they can even participate in democracy. But let's be honest, folks, being the newest token for the Republican Party, Vivek has made himself the spokesperson for immigration and voting rights, because who would know more about the subject than an anchor baby? But don't take my word for it. Vivek said so himself in a recent interview with Meet the Press. Roll tape. Did your father also take the citizenship test, and is your father a citizen? He did not. When did your mom take the citizenship test? Was it before or after you were born? After I was born. But you gained citizenship through birthright then. Well, every, that... But you gained citizenship through birthright, citizenship in that sense too. So your father is not a citizen, your they mother- They came to this country legally. So my view is right. any kid who is born in this country of parents who are here legally, that's the scope of where birthright citizenship applies. I think even the kids who are here, whether they're first generation or sixth generation, should have to earn all of their civic privileges. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm going to have to stop you right there. I get white nationalism would be funny coming from a first generation American only because of birthright citizenship, where the parents came from Kerala, India. So Vivek has rebranded the Nazi adjacent idea as American nationalism. But (laughs) come on. Then again, what else would you expect from a child of privilege? 
We're talking about a kid who grew up in a very well-to-do home, reaped the benefits of having lots and lots of money, and could afford to end up making a stupid amount of money himself from the medical necessities of sick people, you know, being the founder of a biotech corporation worth $8 billion today. But I digress. I want to hear more about Vivek the Anchor Baby's American nationalism concept. Go on. I think every 18-year-old who graduates from high school should have to pass the same civics test that every immigrant has to pass in order to become a legal voting citizen. I would also, in our legal immigration system, even bring that citizenship test to the front end, not just on the back end of being a citizen, but even to get a visa to come into this country. I favor making English the national language of the United States. So that's, I think, important elements of reviving our national identity and our national civic spirit. We have to have immigration policies that, first of all, protect and advance the interests of those here in the homeland, bringing in skilled workers who are committed to this country, who speak the national language, who know something about the country. But that's my vision of citizenship. And so, yes, I call myself an American nationalist. The revival of national identity is core. Holy smokes, Vivek just went full Hitler on Meet the Press. And everyone since 1945 knows you never go full Hitler. (laughs) Here we have a man who was raised in a home where his didn't become citizens until he was born parents' native language was not English. And he still thinks one nation, one language? (laughs) I can't even with this next level hypocrisy. And while we're on the subject of shit I cannot believe is actually happening Here's a hot take on something no one in politics wants to hear, but pretty much everyone electing these fuckers is talking about, which is why I'm going to let Utah Senator Mitt Romney say the too old to govern part out loud. One, if I'd have run again, I just don't think that we need another person in their 80s. Uh, I'm a little long of tooth already. We don't need more like me. The issues of the day relate to China, climate change, AI. Uh, and a lot of the guys in their 80s who know how to deal with those issues. That the times we're living in really demand the next generation to step up and, uh, and express their point of view and to make the decisions that will shape our American politics over the coming century. And just having a bunch of guys who were around the baby boomers who were around in the post-war era, we're not the right ones to be making the decisions for tomorrow. These are the moments I hate when I have to admit that I agree with everything Mitt Romney just said. And that is because, folks, the 2024 election for president is starting to look like a race to the nursing home. And nothing said that louder than 80-year-old President Joe Biden at a press conference in Vietnam, which was unfortunately scheduled way, way past his bedtime. But I tell you what, I don't know about you, but I'm going to go to bed. Yeah, we we talked about, we talked about at the conference overall, we talked about stability, we talked about making sure that the third world, the, uh, excuse me, third world, the the, the southern hemisphere had access to change, had access, it wasn't confrontational at all. Thank thank you, everybody. This ends the press conference. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. 
And, and look, no offense to Dark Brandon, but when your press secretary steps in to end a presser overseas because it's clear her boss is in desperate need of an early bird special and a Barca lounger, I think that it might be time to talk about how old is too old to govern. And don't think that this is just a Democrat problem. Cognitive Decline Dawn was recently on stage in D.C. talking to Yalkaida at the Pray Vote Stand Summit when he said this. As you know, crooked Joe Biden and the radical left thugs who have weaponized law enforcement to arrest their leading political opponent, and leading by a lot, including Obama. I'll tell you what, you take a look at Obama and take a look at some of the things that he's done. This is the same thing. The country is very divided. And we did with Obama. We won an election that everyone said couldn't be won. We have a man who is totally corrupt and the worst president in the history of our country, who is cognitively impaired, in no condition to lead, and is now in charge of dealing with Russia and possible nuclear war. Just think of it. We would be in World War II very quickly. <laughs> oh, that background music is just chef's kiss. <laughs> and folks, it came with the clip because Comrade Pumpkin Fuhrer was at a uh, moment in his speech where they were kind of nodding him off stage, much like they do with the Oscars when the acceptance speech is taking way too long. I wouldn't have it any other way, would you? <laughs> and another thing. Eric's dad was born in 1946, just nine months after World War II was declared over on September 2nd, 1945. So when in the world does Grandpa Tangerine think he is? Because he's clearly not here in 2023. Obama hasn't been president for six years, and the kerfuffle might not even remember that he was president three years ago. And by the way, his opponent was not Obama. It was Hillary Clinton. The point is, the 2024 election should not look like a sequel to the geriatric 80s classic Cocoon when there are perfectly good and much younger people fully capable of governing. All we have to do is elect them. And hey, don't take my word for it. A CBS News poll finds a majority of voters surveyed want maximum age limits for elected officials. And many have concerns about politicians' performance past the age of 75. The average age of a representative in the 117th Congress is 58.4 years old. The average age of a senator, 64.3 years old. And there are less than 30 members of Congress under the age of 40. Wyoming Senator Cynthia Lummis is one of several lawmakers who supports amending the Constitution to require term limits in the House and Senate where a growing number of members are over the age of 75. Fuck yeah, there should be term limits and age maximums on serving in public office. Between Glitchy McConnell going for a third installment in his Frozen reboot franchise to Dianne Feinstein refusing to let go of her seat while her daughter has power of attorney over her mother because Diane is too old to manage her own life and don't even get me started on insider trader Pelosi who would rather continue getting stock tips at the wrinkled old age of 83 than let a younger Democrat take her seat even though 
She comes from a district where it is no threat a Republican is going to flip that seat. Which brings me to a very hard truth. It seems old people can't tell the difference between fact and fiction. Case in point, the conjurers in the Republican Party who have launched an inquiry into impeachment proceedings for President Joe Biden. Now, normally on Capitol Hill, this would work where you commit a crime and then they bring evidence of said crime to a hearing and then everyone votes based on that evidence whether or not they should vote to impeach you. And since the House is responsible for impeachment, they get to do all of that themselves. Then the Senate holds a trial if the votes are in the House. Hell yeah, impeach that motherfucker. And then the trial in the Senate determines what the punishment will be. But with the worst Kevin running the House, we're going to skip all of that procedural nonsense instituted to ensure the accused is fairly treated under the law and go straight to the inquiry right after some Republicans get back from their fishing expedition. Because just like their right-wing base, right-wing politicians prefer to reverse engineer everything. You know, start with a theory and then look for facts to back it up. There's just one problem with this whole Biden impeachment stunt. There isn't any evidence to support their conspiracy theory. And don't believe me. Here is Republican Ken Buck from Colorado spilling the beans on Fox, not a news channel. There is very little evidence that links Hunter Biden with Joe Biden. Uh, Hunter Biden received a lot of money from Burisma, uh, a Ukrainian oil and gas uh, company. And Joe Biden fired a Ukrainian prosecutor named Shokin. Uh, the, uh, the, the theory, I guess, is that the Burisma paid money to Hunter Biden so that Joe Biden would fire Shokin because Shokin was investigating Burisma. One, there is little to no evidence that Shokin was investigating Burisma. Two, Shokin was uh, uh, targeted by the European Union um, as well as our State Department to be fired because he was more corrupt than the people he was investigating. And three, there is very little evidence to no evidence that suggests that Hunter Biden actually shared the money he got with Joe Biden so that Joe Biden would do something or that Joe Biden knew that Hunter Biden was getting money so that uh, Joe Biden would take these acts. And just like that, the Republican justification for plunging the United States into economic turmoil, otherwise known as a government shutdown, over impeaching President Biden is exposed as the bullshit we all kind of knew it was. But wait, folks, there's more. Fox Nutt, a news channel, and other right-wing flapping heads have been making their point very, very clear. This is really about revenge impeachment. You know what they say, payback is a bitch, and this payback is going to be one big Joy Behar. <laughs> Zero evidence doesn't matter. Because the first Trump impeachment, there was more evidence for Bigfoot. And the media gobbled it up like a bowl of Xanax and spaghetti. So it's your turn in the barrel. You better get used to it. So we're not going to knock Joe Biden out of office by doing these impeachment proceedings. Democrats hold the Senate. And they're, they have to do a trial. The only reason to impeach Biden is just for the symbolism of it. And, of course, there's an argument to be made to force the, uh, the press to cover the evidence and the allegations against the Biden crime family. That's fine. But the only victory 
if it happens to produce a political advantage. That's it. Because what Americans need right now is political theater. See, this is what happens when unqualified and impotent Kevins and Karens become elected representatives. They use their job to get back at anyone who won't let them do whatever the fuck they want to do. And don't think for a moment this show is just for their base. No, they wouldn't go to all this trouble just for their voters. Master Impeachment Theater was created with just one viewer in mind. The twice-impeached former president who prefers to watch his C-SPAN with a steak and a bottle of Heinz 57. Marilardo has been spotted discussing Joe's impeachment with Mad Dog Three-Toed Gangrene at his retirement golf course in Florida, while also having lengthy phone conversations with Elise Stefanik, the worst Kevin in the house's number two. And she also was the first one to bring up impeachment of Joe Biden. But <laughs> and then there's this. It does look like Trump is one of the motivating factors behind Republican leadership's decision to pursue an impeachment inquiry into Joe Biden. He is certainly somebody who supports it, is behind it, has been talking about it uh, behind the scenes. Uh, how aggressively he is pushing for it with McCarthy directly, I think, is an open question. But there's no doubt that Trump, and this is his style, he sort of drops something into the conversation and Republicans take it up. And it's often offered as some kind of a suggestion. Donald Trump publicly ordered the House Republicans Republican caucus to get it done, writing, quote, either impeach the bum or fade into oblivion. They did it to us. Yeah, that pretty much checks out. Doesn't even surprise me. The maggots in the Republican Party from Georgia, Florida and Colorado, along with the worst speaker in the House, are doing the bidding of their dear leader. But what's painfully obvious is it appears they don't know how an inquiry works. And for those of you in the back, here's a refresher. In any case where there's a prosecution, you have to have a credible allegation of wrongdoing. And it's clear to everyone but Mayor McTreason and his merry band of orange nosers that there is no evidence linking Biden to the actions of his son, Hunter. Hence why an inquiry before the allegation is literally putting the cart before the horse. But... Try explaining that to the Karen, South Carolina, elected to the House, Republican Nancy Mace. Because your God knows, this CNN host really, really did try. Roll tape. Isn't it supposed to be the evidence that leads you to pursue impeachment and impeachment inquiry? Well, that's what the inquiry is for. It's but there's to already get more evidence. investigations. I think that's right. where people are confused because it's not like but there's we don't no have investigation Joe, we don't happening. have Joe Biden's bank records yet. And so one way to do that, my understanding, would be through an impeachment inquiry. So if that's what get us, gets us those bank records, then I'm going to support it. If, I'm just saying, if you could see what I have seen, and I believe you should, you deserve to see that. But have that. you seen direct evidence for, I, I related to seen, President Biden? Because that's what we have not heard. Well, we have to connect the, the dots, and that has to be through the bank records. If his bank records show nothing, the American people should know that, too. And you think it's worth launching that 100%. to get to that? I do. They do. Uh, if that's what gets us the bank records, that's what we should do. Uh, On the impeachment side, you know, the House would investigate. The Senate would essentially hold a trial, but no, I mean, the Senate's not going to hold a trial. There's not going to be 60 votes. It's not happening. It is, uh, it's a, it's window dressing on impeachment, but an inquiry is an investigative tool. That's the difference between an impeachment vote and an inquiry. You and there is grossly unqualified for the position you hold 
And then there's next level Nancy Mace, who has made herself the poster child for the deplorable state of South Carolina's education system with that stupid explanation for why there is an impeachment inquiry before the allegation. Now, granted, we all get that maggots need some proof that Biden did something wrong. And according to Nancy's mentally challenged thought process, that'll become apparent once they get a hold of Biden's bank records, which they can't get without a reason. And that reason has to be an inquiry, which, yeah, you see how this is going. They are wanting to impeach Biden on something, anything. And that is because King Baby Coward told them to do it. And if you thought that was all there is, wait, there's more. This entire fishing expedition called an impeachment inquiry is a violation of the U.S. Department of Justice's rules created when old drinks with two hands was president's. According to Politico, in 2020, the Trump-led Justice Department formally declared that impeachment inquiries are invalid unless the entire chamber takes formal votes to authorize them. The head of the DOJ's Office of Legal Counsel back then had written, we conclude that the House must expressly authorize the committee to conduct an impeachment investigation and to use compulsory process in that investigation before the committee may compel the production of documents or testimony. According to Politico, this investigation of Biden, quote, is expected to feature significant scrutiny of actions taken by the Justice Department, FBI, and IRS in relation to its investigation of Biden's son Hunter and his foreign business dealings. All three agencies would be bound by the OLC opinion. By the OLC the opinion, by the way, that the Republicans passed to protect Trump. <laughs> uh, truth is, useless Kevin doesn't even have the votes needed to bring an inquiry to obtain the financial records. Maggots are desperate to get their grubby little hands on just so they can reverse engineer Dingus Khan's revenge impeachment, of course. <laughs> Could those maggots be any more obvious? Meanwhile, Americans are fighting for their very lives, trying to figure out how to pay a 20 to 40 percent increase in everything while their employers refuse to raise their wages when it was corporate greed that made everything so fucking expensive in the first place. And would you know it, Republican presidential hopeful and South Carolina's token senator, Mr. Tim Scott, thought now would be the perfect time to shit on the American worker for demanding a living wage while the companies that they work for tout record profits. Ronald Reagan gave us a great example when federal employees decided they were going to strike. He said, you strike, you're fired. Simple concept to me, to the extent that we could use that once again, absolutely. $86 billion, I believe for union pensions. They want, they want more money working fewer hours. They want more benefits working fewer days. Uh, are they though? Because the union is demanding a four day work week with 10 to 12 hour days. So that's more hours for less days. And of course they want a pay raise. I mean, the GM CEO got 34% in pay raises over the last four years. Shouldn't the worker? Perhaps it should come as no surprise to anyone that trash-talking Scott, you just heard taking a verbal shit over the American auto workers and unions' heads, made over 
$3.3 million last year in campaign contributions by the auto manufacturers themselves. But what should disturb you is Timmy here is running for Republican nomination for president in 2024. He's also not an outlier when it comes to the party's stance on the American worker, the thing that they built their brand on for the last 50 years. Former Stepford Veep and actual child of the damned Mr. Mike Pence made his position known in public and on CNN when it comes to the American worker. He apparently doesn't support striking because it hurts corporations' profit margins. Roll tape. In 1965, CEOs made about 20 times what their typical workers made. The CEO of GM makes 362 times what her typical employees make. Is that okay? Well, I, I think that ought to be left to the shareholders of that company. I, I'm somebody that believes in free enterprise. I think, I think those are decisions that can be made by, by shareholders and creating pressure, and I'll fully support how these publicly traded companies uh, operate. Oh, the truth comes out. Mike Pence is a dick to the American worker. Republicans only gave a shit about Joe Plummer because he went to work for a big company and didn't complain about the poverty wages he received for working full time while still classified as a temporary employee, even though he was hired 15 years ago. Mind you, corporations who've raised the price of everything out of Scrooge McDuck level greed are boasting about record profits while crying about how there's just not enough money with the trickle down to the workers. After the CEOs, of course, take their 20 to $50 million in bonuses. And even though it's blatantly obvious that the CEOs of Ford and GM and everywhere else wouldn't even have a job if their low-paid workers didn't show up to work, I mean... How else is GM CEO Mary Barra going to justify her $20 million bonuses when 92% of her salary is actually based on the company's performance, which has everything to do with the workers and nothing to do with Mary? Then are we to say that the workers aren't getting paid what they're worth? <laughs> and if the company did, would they actually go bankrupt? Hmm. These rich bitches just don't get that the auto workers union president is not taking their bullshit anymore because he just dropped this little nugget. We're going to see more strikes for GM and Stellantis at their parts and distribution centers around the country. All of them, 38 of them located in 20 states will walk off the job at noon today. That is because the UAW says that they have been making progress with Ford. The idea right now, obviously, to take this nationwide, we're talking as far west as Colorado, as far east as Michigan. Our stand-up strike strategy is designed to do one thing, win record contracts after years of record profit. <laughs> These unionized auto workers are not messing around. They're using something called the stand-up strategy, and it is the funniest thing I've ever heard of a union doing. Basically, the union workers went and spread all kinds of bullshit about the strike and when it was going to happen and where it might happen and knowing that snitches will go to the ranks and tell the big three executives to prepare for what might happen at their facilities. Well, guess what? That's exactly what happened. 
Too bad the actual strike didn't happen the way the snitches told the supervillains at the big three it would go down. So that resulted in hilarious confusion from the executives. They were caught off guard when the strike came down where they released expecting it. And if you ask me, that is brilliant. (laughs) And that's all I have to say about that. New episode of This Week Again will air every Sunday and follow the show on social media wherever you can find us. This Week Again is available for your listening pleasure on places like iHeartRadio and Spotify and Amazon Music, Audible, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you so much for listening to this show and to Der for now.